I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show okay so that lady the robot has told us that it is time to begin so many so many so many damn books hello and welcome to so many damn books a blessing a curse, a podcast. My name is Christopher, and I am joined in the hyperspace version of the Zoom Universe Dam Library by Mona Awad. Mona is the author of All's Well and Bunny and 13 Ways of Looking at a Fat Girl. And Bunny was a finalist for a Goodreads Choice Award and the New England Book Award. It was named a Best Book of 2019 by Time, Vogue, and the New York Public Library. All's Well was a finalist for a Goodreads Choice Award. 13 Ways won the Amazon Best First Novel Award and was shortlisted for the Giller Prize. So well lauded. <laughs> Mona Awad currently teaches fiction in the creative writing program at Syracuse University and is based in Boston. And you're here to discuss your brand new novel, Rouge. I am so excited to talk about it with you. I feel like I, I read it a while ago. Galleys appeared a while back, but I it has stuck with me. Um, ever since I read it. So I'm so excited to have you here. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. I love this podcast. Um, So it's wonderful to be back. Yeah. Back. Yes, you are. (laughs) I think there's only one other person that is the, uh, in the three times club and that's Alexandra Kleeman, which is so funny because you're about to do a event with her on the, on September 15th. That's right. right. Yep. We're doing it in Brooklyn at Books or Magic um, for Rouge. And it's so funny. She was sort of um, my um, my publication tour buddy um, when All's Well came out and um, Something New Under the Sun came out. We did an event together at McNally Seaport. Um, she's really lovely and I love her work. So it's an honor. It's an honor to, to, to be in the club with her. Yeah. Yeah. The three timers club. I feel, you know, it's not quite like being in the SNL like (laughs) host, but you know, I want, I like to think that it's, it's my version. It's what I can give, you know, I don't control Saturday Night Live. That's right. I, I control so many damn books. Okay. Well, I'm so glad you're back. Um, and you know that what comes next is I made a cocktail inspired yep. by your book. I had a lot of fun with this because this book has so many themes and so many objects and drinks and things to to pull from. So I wanted to do something sparkling and red because every time she is entering this, I mean, there's all sorts of things you can call it, but entering the sort of 
other space in this universe she's handed a glass of red sparkling something mm-hmm. which every doesn't everyone know don't yeah. drink anything in dream world Come yeah on. don't do that <laughs> so i had that to pull from and then there were these mysterious jellyfish so there was something there jellyfish like um that are featured so prominently and then there's the there are those themes of trying to preserving and enhancing beauty at any cost so right <laughs> all of that swirling in my head as i was trying to con- so i started with actually the ice cube which is mm-hmm. what i froze a, a beautiful strawberry in ice and wow. it's not something i can really show you uh very well here but it's oh, a really it's red magic. drink yeah and, and because through the glass through the drink you can still see it kind of does look like something otherworldly um trapped in the ice and yeah. I was also thinking that, you know, it's preservation too in the same way. So the yeah. pre- the promise of frozen beauty. So it's gin, Campari, strawberry syrup, uh, pineapple juice, lemon, and then topped with kava. And even though there's a lot of sweet ingredients in there, um, that Campari and the kava kind of pull those back from the edge. And this becomes something that you very much want to drink and you should probably drink sober. <laughs> I love that. And I love that there are like sweet and acidic notes in there. That's yeah. Cool. Just like, yeah. Just like that. Are you, are you drinking anything special? Um, I tried to take inspiration um, Ooh, wow. from, from your um, cocktail. Um, I, uh, I have, I have sparkling and I cava, and then I have some Campari. Um, I didn't have any strawberries, so I added some frozen blueberries beautiful oh and how is it it's quite good i mean i love the mix of campari and and bubbly it's it's beautiful yeah it's basically i just fancified a spritz i just made a spritz difficult yeah (laughs) so (laughs) make your spritz as difficult people it's it's always (laughs) rewarding seriously like once you start adding things you kind of uh even if you don't stop it's fine yeah and why not add some berries anyway yeah you should right yeah so it's easy drinking. So that was a really fun, that was that was a fun journey to go on. So thank you for sending me on that journey with your book. And I want to talk about it, but before we do that, I have to celebrate the wanton acquisition of objects and books and talk about what did you buy. Uh, would you like me to talk about what I bought first and then we can get into what you bought? Yeah, yeah. I want to hear what you bought. <laughs> well, the the first thing I bought is this incredible sounding novel uh, that is translated from the Japanese by Hayden Trowell, hmm. The Forest Brims Over by Maru Ayase. And so uh, this is out from Counterpoint. And the idea is this woman has been the subject of her husband's novels all her life and has been painted as this sort of very sex object and has kind of had enough. And so she eats all these seeds and becomes a forest. Oh, my God. And instead of taking her to the hospital, her husband is like, this is so interesting. (laughs) I'm going to keep her in the backyard and I'm going to write about it. Oh, my God. So... I don't Just that like that's the writer. description. It's an absolutely gorgeous looking pattern. Oh, that is stunning. Yeah. It just seems like it's one of these that's going to be overflowing with imagery. 
And so I'm really excited about that. And then on my run the other day, <laughs> I passed a cardboard box full of NYRB galleys. Oh, nice. Which is just one of those perks of living in Park Slope, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and so this comes out, this came out in June. And this is a book called My Stupid Intentions by Bernardo Zanoni. And it's actually, it's an autobiography of a beech marten, which is a type of sort of ferret weasel. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's from an animal perspective, which is one of my absolute favorite things. It's the best, yeah. Um, and he like comes under the wing of a pawnbroking fox in his life. And it's sort of about their life together, I, I assume. Um, so I'm really excited because it sounds totally bizarre. And I read the first, let me just read you this first sentence because it's sure, so sure. good. Uh, my father died because he was a thief. He stole three times from the fields of Zoe. And on the fourth, the man caught him. He shot him in the belly, tore the chicken from his mouth and tied him to a fence post as a warning. Oh my God. What a great way to begin. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm hooked. I'm really <laughs> excited about it. Uh, and I, it was worth running uh, a mile yeah. with it. <laughs> Definitely. Oh my gosh. You ran a mile with it. That's gonna... that's Well, I was worried. I was like, someone else yeah. is going to want this really choice NYRB yeah. galley. Of I just course. leave it here. Yeah. Yeah. No, you have to seize the moment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about you? What did you buy? Or what did you get in the mail? Yeah, I was thinking about this and um, a book that I'll share that I bought. Um, I read it earlier this this winter, actually, but I, I bought it because I loved it so much. Um, it was The Shards by Brett Easton Ellis. Oh, OK. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's 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 another kind of autobiographical um, fiction um, starring a, you know, a young teenager, Brett, Brett Ellis, um, in, in California in 1981 in LA. Mm. Um, and there's a serial killer and there's a, a handsome stranger who like suddenly is, is, um, part of the new student body. Um, it all starts in the fall of 1981. And, um, I loved it so much. It's 600 pages. Um, so but so it's a commitment um but he's it's not really an epic writer you know he's one of those yeah. like short sharp shot type of people yeah yeah I mean this one is expansive uh, more maybe even more uh, much more expansive than American Psycho but um so uh vulnerable and and uh so powerful like, it was just it's wonderful and the atmosphere of it I was really enchanted by it um even though it was 600 pages I couldn't stop reading um I mean I've I've long been a fan of Brett Easton Ellis but um the new one I think is is one of his best for sure wow it's so cool later on in the uh in a career to find a new gear yeah yeah no I know I was so I was so delighted by it um so that and then I was in Stratford Ontario very recently, I was I was um, part of the the festival. I was in conversation with um, Margaret Atwood and Naomi Alderman um, about Gothic literature, which was really really fun. Oh my gosh, is this is this conversation anywhere? Because that is... I don't know. <laughs> it might it might be soon. 
Um, you might be able to watch it. Um, but, uh, it was, it was very fun. And Stratford is a place that I know very well as a Canadian, it's like a little Britishy town, you know, um, with this Shakespeare, uh, very Shakespeare heavy festival. Mm -hmm. Um, so there, there are a lot of British stores, British leaning stores, and they're really kind of kitschy and fun. And I went to the Scottish shop and I bought some ginger snaps. <laughs> and they are delicious. They are very, very good. And I remember them from when I lived in Edinburgh. Yeah. And um, they're not always so easy to find. So I was I was very, very happy. I wonder what it is they're doing. What do they know that we don't about ginger snaps? They're just not afraid of spice in the same way. They don't hold um, back, you know? It's like, it's full on. Yeah. In the biscuit. Yeah. Okay, well, you you brought her up. I, I have to ask you about Margaret Atwood because you've been paired with her recently. She said such wonderful things about your work and that must be so exciting. How has, how has that been? It's amazing. I mean, you know, I was so thrilled that she um, embraced Bunny as she did, um, uh, which is my, my second book. And um, and yeah, it's a, it's a total, total honor. I mean, I've, I've admired her since I was a teenager, you know, in, in Canada, um, studying literature, falling in love with it, falling in love with poetry. She's an excellent poet, um, as well as an excellent novelist. And I love those early novels. They're just so Gothic. Um, Mm -hmm. just, they really speak to me. I love that many of them are set. All of them are set in, uh, in Canada, at least partly, Mm -hmm. um, in Toronto, which I know very well. That's where I grew up as a teenager. Um, so it was just, yeah, it just felt like kind of, I I don't know. How did it come about? She tweeted about Bunny, um, back in like the late summer of 2019 on her own. Um, just, she had just read it and she really loved it. So, uh, when the paperback of Bunny came out and there was a pandemic, um, I think my publicist reached out and asked if she wanted to do a virtual event and she did want to. So we were in conversation for the paperback release of Bunny um, at the Strand. Uh, we were hosted by the Strand. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time we had an in-conversation talk. Um, and then when um, when she um, called me her, her, uh, her literary heir um, and we had to do a photo shoot for that um, back in November, that was the first time I'd ever met her um in person so I was really really nervous Mm. she read my palms um which is crazy she reads everybody's palms she's she loves to do that that's great (laughs) and she can really do it so like she's got she's got some skills very very prescient and this is actually related to Rouge um she told me to turn a mirror um toward the wall Mm. which I thought was really interesting because there's a character in Rouge who does that yeah uh, yeah um and she said to like wear an evil eye which oh. i also thought was interesting because there's a lot of there's there's eye iconography in rouge too yeah so yeah i was really fascinated and she hadn't read the book yet she hadn't read it at that point she's read it since um but she she hadn't read it yet so Whoa. she does have some yeah she's she's she was getting some power. Yeah. yeah 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 she's good at it <laughs> so Well, that's amazing. Let's talk about Rouge. Can you tell the listeners what Rouge is about if they haven't encountered it yet? Yeah, of course. Um, It's about uh, a lonely uh, dress shop clerk named Belle 
um, who following the sudden and very mysterious death of her mother um, ends up getting sucked into this very lavish, sinister cult, um, beauty cult in, uh, in Southern California. Um, she's originally from Montreal, Canada, and she has to go back to Canada, I mean, to California where her mother lives and where her mother died. And, um, she ends up kind of falling down the same rabbit hole that, um, lured her mother as well. Um, so I, I always say that it's a Gothic fairy tale about beauty, envy, and grief. Mm. Um, but there's a Snow White story in there too, um, about a young girl, a mother and a very mysterious mirror. Yeah. From the start, I was wondering then if the Snow White stuff came as you were writing before or after and you started pulling at those threads when you were through. Yeah, that's a really good question. It started with sort of how the novel begins, which is this woman who is addicted to skincare videos, a bell the stress shock clerk, she's just, she can't stop watching these skincare videos on social media on YouTube. And there's a particular influencer that she really is obsessed with um, named Marva. <laughs> and um, Marva is definitely my tribute to my addiction um, mm. to skincare videos. Um, I couldn't stop watching them either at, at, at a, it was like a couple of years ago. Um, 2019 actually so a few years ago mm -hmm. yeah I started watching them and I couldn't stop and um I was really interested in my the depth of my obsession um because I didn't fully understand it and I was starting to buy all of these skincare products and skincare products that I couldn't afford that I didn't understand that I didn't know how to put together into a regimen but I was trying <laughs> it's like what am I doing um and I wanted to write about it because I felt really powerless and enchanted. And for me, when I feel powerless and enchanted and full of the feelings that usually there's a story there. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I started um, thinking about it from that perspective in the real world. But the more I started thinking about the power that these videos had on me, I mean, the whole the whole promise of beauty is like a fairy tale. It's the promise of transformation. And what fairy tale deals in beauty? Um, Snow White. And Snow White is a fairy tale that I've, I've always wanted to work with. Um, beauty is something that I think we understand the meaning of um, through our parents or our parents maybe give us our first notions of what beautiful is. Um, and so it, it felt like the right fairy tale to explore this particular obsession. Mm. Um, it's yeah. such a rich text. I, I mean, you can pull, <laughs> you can you can make a kids movie out of it, and you can make the most horrifying. I mean, I remember a Neil Gaiman um, take on it too. Oh yeah, that, was, <laughs> that ended up being sort of necrophiliac yes. um, inspired. Yes, but you can find all of that in there. It's not it's not that hard to take those steps. Not at all. Yeah, I know. I know that version. Um, and I, I agree. <laughs> it's, 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 it's very, um, it's very racy. Um, but also it's very violent. And yeah, um, I, I, I don't think it's very difficult because it really is a story about beauty and death. Um, mm -hmm. and really that's what, that's what I was understanding the videos are about too. Um, they're about death anxiety ultimately. I mean, that's the shadow underneath the the whole pursuit of anti-aging and beauty. 
Um, Do you think that the influencers you were watching know that too at the base of what they're peddling? I don't know. Um, maybe, maybe they do. Um, I feel like maybe the the giants of the industry might know um, because the the messaging is so powerful. I just don't see how they couldn't know. I mean, um, and the messaging is it just really it's about the surface, but it it taps into the the most vulnerable place inside of us. Otherwise, we we just wouldn't be so. Um, obsessed. I mean, so many of us are, um, we wouldn't be so suggestible. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and so, so I do think that on, on some level people know, but it's, it's easy to deny. Right. Mm -hmm. um, well, you and, want to, you want to say, yeah, everything says that we should say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the minute I started thinking about that, that really that's what this is all about. This is mm -hmm. just, avoidance of the inevitability of decline and, and death. Um, I mean, you could say it's about taking care of yourself, but that there, there's other promises embedded in, in the pursuit of beauty and skincare that are not about that. They're not just about taking care of yourself. They're, they're about holding on to something that you will inevitably lose. And, and that's, that's a very bittersweet thing, right? Yeah. All's Well dealt with chronic pain, and this book deals with sort of debilitating grief. You seem to have a facility with putting your characters through the ringer. Can yeah. you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what it is. I guess I just, I I am interested in, in chronicling those, you know, those kind of really, really difficult experiences, but that's what fairy tale does, you know, and that's what horror does too, sort of shows you a way through the woods and we all walk in the woods, right? And sometimes the paths are very treacherous and um, fairy tales teach you how to survive, right? Um, or they can, um, they teach you a lot of other things too that are bad for you, mm. but, uh, but they do teach you how to survive as well. And, um, and so I guess I do, I do love that. I love a survival narrative. Um, and in many ways, I think that's what Rouge is. It's, 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 you know, it's an exploration of how to survive grief and horror too. Horror is like, it's, it's, it's a, it's a passage through darkness that ultimately, you know, if you survive on the other side, you're, you're brought into, into the light. Um, and I love the promise of that. Mm -hmm. um, stories can do that for us. Um, so I get, I guess that's kind of why I, I just love working with, with, the with the shadow, you know, um, mm -hmm. and, and, and having fun with that. It feels like important information because it feels like survival. It feels like you're, you're gonna, you're gonna need this later. Yes. And so that is a, is a real driving force. Another driving force is something that I'm really interested in, um, I guess, as a, as a writer, is I'm, I'm interested in where the magic begins. The points uh, in the book where the reality of the book, not reality of the world, but the reality that you're making opens up for magic. Mm -hmm. And this book of yours is like the fastest mm -hmm. descent, literal descent yet. Yeah. Like, I feel like All's Wells was sort of building up to it. And then, you know, Bunny is also 
very much it's closer to the end although of course it's all, always um sprinkled through this one is very much you're in it from the start yeah how was it writing that sort of plunge it was fun i mean it was it was incredible um it was very dreamlike from the very beginning um but it's sort of paradoxically that is really because i was very committed to Belle's consciousness, how she's seeing the world. And if she's in a state of deep denial about the loss of her mother and is just fixated on her skincare, because that's when the book opens, that's basically where she's at. She's at her mother's funeral, but she's in the bathroom watching this skincare video about next. Um, she's, she's clearly, you know, not able to face what is happening. And, um, and so just following her consciousness immediately led me down this rabbit hole. We have to imagine how she looks to others. Yes. And there's a lot of that <laughs> because her actions seem so upsetting. Yes. Yeah. No, they totally to a, are. To an outside viewer. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's like that moment in horror when you're like, why are you going up the stairs? Why are you opening the door? But in, in a nightmare, that's what we do. Mm -hmm. You know, logically, when we're on the other side of the screen watching something, we can say, don't go through that door, don't go up the stairs, because we see the whole picture. And we're not in a nightmare. Mm. But, you know, horror likes to depict a nightmare and, and fairy tale does too. So, yeah. um, so in this book, of course, she's going to open the door, she's going to take the path, she's going to put on the red shoes, she's going to look in the mirror, right? She's going to go back to that dress shop. That was the scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. That was, that was my real as a reader. Don't, don't go in there. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to be good, Belle. All dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> as a working writer, when you're in the midst of high anxiety, high dream world sequences like that, do you stay in it as long as you can? Or are you very, are you trusting at this point that you you'll get back into it tomorrow? No, 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 no. I'm staying. I'm staying. I, absolutely. <laughs> like, I mean, I wrote, I wrote the majority of the, the first draft of the book in about five weeks Whoa. Um, when I was away, it was between, um, uh, Thanksgiving break and the start of the spring term. And we had an extended, um, break because of the pandemic. And, um, and so I was able to, to write a first draft of the whole thing. Um, and, um, you know, some of my days of writing were very, very long because I didn't want to relinquish. I didn't want to lose the thread. I wanted to like stay in the world of it uh, for as long as I could. Cause yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you can lose your way. You can lose your momentum. You can, you can, um, lose touch with the voice. I mean, no, no writer and no aspiring writer wants to hear that. Um, <laughs> I mean, you will find it again. It's just that it's, I, I know from experience that, that those moments when you're inside it, you need to seize. Yes. Yeah. I read another book this year. Um, Natural Beauty by Ling Ling Huang. Mm -hmm. And it also dealt in sort of a beauty cult. And they both ended up sort of complementing each other in, in this interesting way. They were very, very different approaches. 
but w- what is it about cults and beauty that seem to fit so what they it's like you can't have one without the other i feel like at the base of a lot of cults there's yes a beauty or or like a rejection like you don't have to look beautiful which is a different type of um yeah. image obsession of course yeah no you're absolutely right um and i think that's really important to like think about when you think about the other side of it which is of course the the, the beauty industry and the the cult of beauty i think there's just it's it's because i think it's about enchantment i think it's about um the the power of of uh, of the beauty industry and the hold that it has over someone like me who is very vulnerable to the to the messaging um is all the like language that's shared you know um and like the glow pursuit of the glow right the brightening um the journey everybody's on a journey everybody's on a skincare journey (laughs) like even just that language just calling it a journey Mm -hmm. um it just just puts it into the realm of the spiritual um and it is maybe it is uh spiritual um because i i don't think that it's just about the surface if it if it were just about the surface it would not have such a powerful hold um, on us. That um, mm-hmm. the idea of beauty. Um, there's just real undeniable power and magic to it. Um, and I and I think that the other thing about it that makes it a cult is that, <laughs> is that um, there are certain people who I think are particularly vulnerable to the messaging. Um, and those right. people tend to be more isolated, um, and maybe not have as much, maybe, maybe not have as much, um, support, mm-hmm. you know, like Belle, for example, she's very alone. And so I think it would be very easy for her to sort of fall under the spell of, oh, I need to take care of my skin. I need to, you know, um, it would, it would just seem like she was taking care of more than that, you know? And the journey is so easily like you don't have to chase this language it's yeah it's out there it's out there I didn't have to make most things up I mean you know all the connections between the beauty treatments and horror they're right there they're already there the elaborate rituals I mean I didn't have to exaggerate very much um to uh to do it the the relationship between beauty and the gothic is like they're really intertwined Blood is right there. There's always <laughs> there's always blood. It's yeah, there's always blood. You could be talking about beauty or horror. Tom Cruise makes a really fun cameo in this uh in this book. And your copy references Eyes Wide Shut, which I saw for the very first time this weekend. Um, oh. Did you actually have Eyes Wide Shut on your mind? Or is this an invention of copy? Um, because <laughs> it's not Eyes Wide Shut Tom Cruise that is making, no, making no. an appearance here. It's, uh, it's late 80s Tom Cruise. The the best Tom Cruise. <laughs> Although I think he's wonderful in Eyes Wide Shut. Um, but um, no, I think it is. It's very evocative of the book. Um, the book actually draws a lot from... Kubrick um, from A Clockwork Orange too, just in terms of how the beauty treatments are are performed, and um, there's a there's a very kind of horrific nature to to. I won't spoil anything, 
um, to the way that the beauty treatments unfold for Belle. Mm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so, so I was, a Kubrick was on my mind and, um, Tom Cruise is in that film and, uh, there's definitely, uh, a very lavish, uh, over the top, um, you know, house that is also at the center, mm-hmm. um, which felt very fitting too. So yeah, there, there are, there are some parallels for sure. I think it's, I think it's an apt comparison. Mm. Tom Cruise, uh, yeah, uh, I think it had to be late 80s Tom Cruise because, again, not to spoil anything, the book revisits Belle's childhood um, in the 80s. And uh, and yeah, so it had to be Tom Cruise at that age because that's when he makes the appearances there. Yeah. Right, right. Sort of. Sort of. Yeah, <laughs> sort of. You're right. Sort of. We see him. We see him in other places. You are correct. Yes. <laughs> And that well, was very intentional, by the way, I, I will say. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, he is sort of the the perfect movie star for, for this book because he has such a strange dichotomy of like public darkness to him and, yes. and mystery to who he is at all and what his intentions are on this planet Earth of ours. Yes. Um, <laughs> So I'm unsettled by him already, you know, I, and it was when I saw him on the page, I was like, oh yeah, of course, of course Tom's here. Gosh. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I, I will say, you know, um, it's also like a tribute to my own childhood crush because I had a crush on Tom Cruise when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I do think there's like, he's very mesmerizing. Tom Cruise is, is very, he's got some, some power. It's a different kind of power than Atwood, um, but he's, 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 he has such magnetism, um, especially, yeah. especially in those, in those films. I mean, I, I think he still has it um, on the screen, um, but, uh, but it felt very important because he was such a, he was such a symbol of, uh, of beauty and stardom um, and, and, and purity and mm-hmm. innocence back in the back in the late 80s so it really it really felt like the perfect choice again another just intuitive choice that turned out to feel to to, turned out to be absolutely right it seems like as your career has continued you maybe are trusting those intuitions more and more would you say that that is happening as the books continue to fall out of you (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah I am and it's scary you know the first time it happened really was with Bunny I really was scared when I was writing that book because it felt crazy um and (laughs) I just kept thinking like I I don't know what people are going to make of this like I I I had some indications that it you know just from like initial readers that you know they weren't sure you know um industry reads and so I was like Mm -hmm. oh boy um, what am I, what am I doing here? And then I, and I've said this before, but I just, I asked myself the question, do you still want to like pursue this? Do you still want to finish this? Even if it never sees the light of day and you are really going down like a cursed rabbit hole. Um, the answer was yes. So I just kept going because I was delighted by it, you know, even though I, I just wasn't sure. And, um, and then I was really happy with the result. Uh, I mean, I was really, uh, regardless of how um, it was received, my experience of being with it mm-hmm. um, was really amazing. And um, and I committed myself completely to it. 
Um, and then I've just done the same thing um, since, you know, um, I just try to commit myself to, to the story as it wants to be told. Um, and yeah, I, I try not to compromise on that. Mm. Yeah. How does that, how is that different than how you wrote your first novel? What was, <laughs> what, what, what shifted? Yeah. Um, well, that, that first novel, I mean, I'd never written a novel before. So there was that, um, you know, that book was more grounded in realism, um, very much. I mean, there, there are, there are, are almost no, um, no slides into fantasy or surrealism. There are a couple, there are a couple in the dressing rooms. Um, and then there, there's one story, my mother's idea of sexy that kind of uh, sort of begins to play in that other world mm -hmm. um and those are the stories that that excited me the most and that felt like the portal to what I would do later with Bunny and all as well and now with Rouge um because I just discovered in that book I think that I there is something about slipping into fantasy that just reveals emotional and psychological reality more poignantly for me um as a writer um, that I can capture it with more poignancy. Um, when I when I show a character's fantasy, I feel like the the reality of that character, all of their vulnerabilities, all of their desires, you know, they're really laid bare in those fantasies. Yes. Um, I, I love that tension so much. Um, so so yeah, I just started exploring it more and more in in my novels. I mean, I've loved it every time because I also feel like now, you've sort of made it seem like everyone is going to get a little like successively weirder too, too because <laughs> each one has felt very very different and like like I said like another step down into into dream world like this this book takes the place the most in in dream world of all of the work so far I would say yeah yeah I mean we just don't know right, right. I mean right. <laughs> there's like that sense of um of uncertainty that I, I think is the thing about horror that I love the most too, where you're sort of wondering like, is this really happening or is it, am I just imagining something? Horror mm. loves to play with that tension. And both, both propositions are equally scary. I mean, right. if, if it's me, if I, you know, if I'm just imagining this, what the hell is wrong with me? And if it's the world, well, then I don't understand the rules of the world anymore. Where am I? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, the the horror that I love likes to keep those two things in flux. Is it is it this terrifying thing or is it this terrifying thing? We don't know. Right. Um, and so Rouge is definitely playing with that um, quite a lot. Were there any books that helped guide you in the process of bringing Rouge to the world or or afterwards and editing it or something? Yeah, um, I'm trying to think. Well, Piranesi actually, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> this one. That's why I I um I suggested it. Um, but you know, I always go back to Slade House by David Mitchell because mm -hmm. it's it's such a great um novel about about a house about two vampires in a house. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that's really reducing it. But um, what what I love about that book is the experience of each victim as they encounter 
the predator, the the experience of the victim is both obviously completely terrifying. I mean, he's a really good horror writer, um, but also very enchanting and wondrous at the same time. Like it feels transcendent. Mm-hmm. And that approach to horror feels right um, to me. So I, I've, I've always been inspired by it. Um, because I, I do think that there, you must be enchanted. There must be some wonder for you to open that door, for you to go up those stairs, um, for you to stay in the shadowy place. Um, you, you have to be gripped by something, um, something beautiful. Something's beckoning you forward. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, um, so I just think he handles that incredibly well. Um, and then I watched a lot of Hitchcock. Um, I watched Marnie. Um, which uh, is a film I I love, even though it's just so it's all over the place, but it's so fun and and um, yeah, really really great one um, for for anybody who loves Hitchcock and hasn't seen it. It's like um, almost like screwball, but not yes, <laughs> it is a little and 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 very Freudian, um, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, there's some great things about it. I love like the fog of red that that she'll see, you know. Um, that rouge has that in it um and of course i watched a ton of tom cruise movies obviously i did right <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah he's suffused in here for sure yes uh, well you, you mentioned it and i'd love to talk about it um that you you brought piranesi by susanna clark to my desk which i it was a fantastic recommendation partially just because i'd already read it because i'm an enormous fan of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. It is, I still haven't watched the television show because the book is so perfect in my mind that I don't kind of need anybody. I don't need another person's right. picturing of it. Yes, I know exactly what you mean. I actually haven't read it, um, so I should read it um, because I've heard wonderful things. I, I know it's like a classic at this point. I was, I was one of these people that was in the like, many year wait you know read the short story collection the um ladies of grace i do which is fantastic i love that collection yeah so it's so and it's so different from jonathan strange and mr norrell Mm -hmm. even though it deals with some of the uh some of the same time period yeah but then piranesi arrives it's this completely it seems like it's going to be a completely different thing but then it's still Susanna clark she's she's still doing what she does best um so it inspired you for Rouge. Yeah, yeah, it definitely did. I mean, I love I love narrators that are are clearly in an altered state of consciousness. Mm-hmm. I a, a writer who can deliver that to me and I believe it. I'm in love. I'm in love. I'll go anywhere that narrator takes me if I'm aware of the altered state and and it's fun. And this this narrator has has lost his memory um and is lost in this labyrinth and it's so mysterious i mean we really don't know how he ended up there um his way of naming the world is just so heartbreaking and so so beautiful mm-hmm. but scary too because we just think how what is going on with this person i mean why are they here where are they what world are they in i don't even know and then there are these really insidious clues that they might actually be very very close to the real world to here and now Mm -hmm. um, but just a little removed um 
and I, I was just completely blown away by it. I, yeah. I, I'm, I, I thought it was phenomenal and, and, and it was really the commitment to voice. Um, it was, it was Piranesi's voice yeah. uh, that, that completely like seduced me and took me on such a great ride. Yeah. We should attempt to tell the listener what the story of Piranesi is. Yes. And I would say it's just, it's kind of, it's a, it's a journal. It's a mysterious journal that you're reading about someone who's in a mysterious place and there is someone else there sometimes. <laughs> and your job as reader is to explore this world with them and eventually meet and consider and see what this all means and get the details of why this tapestry is interesting. Um, I know that that is at the base of anything, but like there is... It's a very, it rejects summarization in a very cool way, I think. Yes. Um, she's so effective at a dream world. Yes. Uh, this, the space that you're walking around with him is sort of like, it feels like a bunch of great museums got smashed together um, and, <laughs> and crunched. Because everything is like falling apart and there's all columns like at every which direction. It it was I I was so enjoying rereading this book because the first time that I read it, when it first arrived on my doorstep, I read it in a flash. You know, I just yeah. I was reading it because in the same way that you read like I don't I don't know, any next in a series that you're dying to read. Yes. And I didn't haven't had the chance to return to it until now. And now I'm like in the museum with him like I don't I now I don't need to leave so quickly <laughs> yes yeah it's it's interesting that you say that too because I mean I read it incredibly quickly as well I was completely sucked in I mean it came out in September 2020 which was such a dark time really mm -hmm. and uh, that book was like a little bit of light like you know in a dark place and I like clutched it um but I remember even though I was, I was, it was so propulsive. I still remember it. She does. She takes her time in the opening in the labyrinth, this place where Piranesi is, um, that is very mysterious and all of his, his engagement with the different statues that are in this place. And yeah, I, I, I mean, revisiting it, I was like, this, this was a bit of a risk, you know, taking the time. This is a bit of a slow burn here. Um, and I loved it because it kind of slows me down too. Um, and I think we, we kind of need that um, for, for, for feelings of horror and dread to really work effectively. I think uh, at least on me, the slow burn is, is a wonderful thing. You know, the building of the tension. I think one of the great ideas or great things that she applied here to sort of suffuse that with more tension is that it starts as kind of like a survival novel. Yes. Like yes he's true. hungry and he's like, you're, he's, he's sort of worried about flooding and, you know, he's been that's true living in trauma and like near death for so long, but live, you know, that he's comfortable. So you're sort of, wait a minute, like, how did you get stranded on this Island? Uh, or yes. you know museum amalgamation <laughs> yeah 
and I mean, he, he's without memory and that's very clear. And so that was very useful for me um, because my character um, also has her own journey with memory. <laughs> so so um, yeah, the just how to convey that. Um, yeah, I mean, Piranesi was very, very inspiring for that. It brought to mind that old computer game, Mist. Did you ever play that? No, it sounds wonderful though. You start on a mysterious island um, with no memory and you're trying oh. to figure out how this how this island works and, and get your memory back. Uh, wow. And it's just sort of funny because it's a, it's a terrible, <laughs> I don't <laughs> like the, I was revisiting the computer game recently and realizing like, oh, this is, this doesn't work anymore. Um, but it is a um, it was a funny thing to think about here because like it it was the best feeling of when I first played that game and was yeah. so into this mysterious world. I've never I'd never been in a 3D computer world before. And so I was very like into all the details and thought it was the most magical work of art. And so I, you know, it felt sort of video gamey in a great way, in that sort of I can explore all of this at my own pace type of way. That is a really right. um satisfying way to be. Yeah, I love that. I don't know. It's it's almost an ode to to loneliness or solitude. Like he yeah. loves solitude, and and, loves. and that was a, that was another thing that was a nice thing to be having. It's September twenty twenty. Like, oh my gosh! It might be nice to be alone. Think about that for a second. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. Yeah, his wonder at the world was like infectious. It was, and 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 that the world was so the world that he was wondering at seemed scary and desolate i mean beautiful but certainly desolate um and that he could find joy in it and wonder it was it was it was very like heartening yeah i don't want to spoil what comes next but i will say that like it does get grounded in this very specific way that was yep. extremely surprising based on everything that you'd read before and as especially if you've read Susanna Clark's previous work, right. you're expecting a certain sort of thing that really is very, quite <laughs> not spoiling something is making for very um, impre imprecise language, but you get what I'm saying. Like it's, I it's, do, I totally do. Yeah. It, it was, it was a very surprising turn. And I was excited that she was like, she's so interested in, in pulling together puzzle pieces. Yes. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. I, I, I loved the fact that from the very, very beginning of the book with Piranesi's first encounter with this figure called the other, um, there's just some sense that all is not right here. We, we, we are not the world as this character understands it is definitely not the world. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I found something interesting. I was looking at um, criticism and, and how the novel was received. And I found this quote from her about how she was trying to write Piranesi. Um, and that she was thinking about how the world, uh, the ancients did not, not find the world to be meaningless. Um, mm. They found it to be sacred and dramatic and their part in it was dramatic. And so that was what she was trying to encapsulate in Piranesi was that this is not someone who thinks I live in a meaningless nothing world. It's someone who believes I am I'm in a meaningful sacred world and my actions are worthy. 
And knowing that that was how she was trying to sort of write the character sort of really opens up how she got to move around her dream world. Yeah, 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 that's right. Because um, for him, there would be so much, there would be meaning attached to everything, right? There would be a quality of the sacred attached to everything. Yeah, no, that and that comes through in his engagement with the world, I think. That makes a lot of sense. But but you can't help but impose your very contemporary perspective <laughs> on it. And there and and I was seduced by it. I was very seduced by the narrator's way of seeing the world. Oh, me too. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was so necessary at the time that I read it and rereading it now. I'm still thinking about how it was like salvation. I feel yeah. silly saying that well, word, no. but it, yeah. I know what you mean. I felt when I finished reading it, I felt like this is why I read books because mm. they make me literally feel like I'm I'm richer on the inside. Like my interior world is now richer thanks to this book, and I'm so grateful. Um, and I, I have to be frank and say that I I don't often have that experience you know, not as much as I used to. I still have it, of course, and I'm grateful every time. But that particular moment in time, reading that book, I, I felt it very profoundly. Um, yeah. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful to Susanna Clark. Um, yes. Thank you. This book. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Susanna Clark. Thank yeah. you. Well, obviously, we both highly recommend Kieran E.C., and I also highly recommend, if you haven't already, it's an enormous book. It took me two tries, I will say. I, I got through the first 150 pages the first time I tried to read Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell and then stopped and then picked it up about two or three years later and finished it. Oh, okay. um, because it's an epic. It's Depending on your copy, it could be thousands of pages. I mean, it's one of those ones they that they reissued in one of those like silly brick paperbacks. Oh, yeah, I hate which that. Which is just like who's buying this and who's excited about holding the brick awkwardly in their hand on the beach because it's not it it doesn't take advantage of the i'm sorry i'm not gonna get on this no, <laughs> i understand trust me uh but it's a great it's a great book um do you have any recommendations for the listeners yeah um i recommend the shards by brett easton ellis i do think you have to be um, maybe a fan already, um, maybe, but maybe not. Cause I, I think it definitely stands on its own, but if you, if you're already a fan of, of Ellis's work, I think you'll, you'll love it all the more. Um, and then the other recommendation I have is for, um, an author that I just discovered this summer, um, Heather McGowan, and, um, it was a novel called Duchess of Nothing. And it's fantastic. It came out almost 20 years ago. Um, it's just uh, about this um, this woman who is taking care of this young eight-year-old boy in Italy. Mm-hmm. And it's just an extended monologue um, that is directed at this boy um, who may or may not understand <laughs> a lot of what she is saying. Um, but she's she's it's a fantastic narrator. It's so like funny and um, it's it's biting and it's it's delicious. I mean, I I was enjoying myself so much when I read that book. I thought it was amazing. Um, 
So yeah, that's that's the one that I recommend is is Duchess of Nothing. Nice. Yeah. Well, I'm going to recommend a young adult novel that I read. I haven't read a young adult novel in a while, um, but this one just caught me. Um, it's called Forgive Me Not by Jennifer Baker. And it's about a, a teenager who has killed her sister in a drunk driving accident in the novels open, like before the novel opens. Oh, and she is being sentenced by the juvenile detention system in this sort of alternate universe um, to by her family because they are the wronged party. And so she's going to stay in juvenile detention and she can either go to basically a corrections facility or she can do this alternative program where they put her through what they're called trials, um, where they are specifically designed in order to sort of rehabilitate you these actions gosh and one of the first trials i won't give away all the trials that she's put through because it's a big sort of turn of the book but one of the first trials that she has to go through is working in a morgue um, oh and gosh. and embalming bodies oh my gosh wow and the novel is really about sort of what is forgiveness what are these systems and how can you f achieve forgiveness in a municipal or bureaucratic society and it's questioning corrections facilities and and how we treat teenagers and also at the base of it all grief uh, for she just lost her sister and it, it's her fault but right. that doesn't mean that she doesn't feel the loss um right. it's a beautiful book and it's also got this other um the other perspective is her brother who's on the outside and is sort of experiencing what the family is experiencing as the as she is absent and and they witness what she's going through. It was a really um, complicated book, but it was ended up being extremely um, satisfying and and a rewarding read and very thoughtful about juvenile detention programs. And even though this was its own universe, it still had a lot to say about how we treat prisoners. Yeah. Yeah, no, it sounds really powerful. Um, yeah, very. But the other book I really want to recommend is Rouge um, <laughs> by you. I I just love this one. I am, you're a day one author for me. I, I love all of the books that you're putting out and I'm just so excited that you wanted to come back and hang out with me. So thank you for, for being on so many damn books. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's it's always a pleasure. It's an honor um, to uh, to share the the space with Alexandra Kleeman. <laughs> very very honored. Um, and no, it's always asks such wonderful questions, and I love our discussions. So I'm thrilled. I love this podcast. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> well, cheers. Cheers. And we'll see you for the next one. Yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs>